Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights, and we're so glad that you found us online. You know, at Heights, it is our desire to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places, on Facebook and on YouTube, on Instagram. We even have our own website where we're constantly posting things as well. If you're checking us out for the first time, you can go to heightschurch.org connect and let us know that you found us. And once again, we're so glad that you're here. Open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. I'm going to take you on a detour out of the book of Titus. Uh, we had started a series in the book of Titus, uh, but with just recent happenings within the life of our church this past week, uh, I just, my heart wasn't in Titus anymore. And so uh, I asked the Lord, just where do you want us to go over the next several weeks? And so we are going to uh, move into a different sermon series. I do want to return to the book of Titus later uh, in this year. And so we probably will do that at some point. Uh, but when we stop and think about the topic of suffering, essentially we all know someone who is suffering. Uh, if you just stop and think today, every one of us knows somebody in a period of suffering, whether it is a friend, it is a family member, it is a colleague at work, it is a neighbor, everyone knows somebody that is hurting, that is suffering. And so how do we approach that topic as believers in Jesus Christ? And that's what we want to spend the next three weeks on. This morning, we're going to look at how God comforts us so that we may comfort others. Next week, we're going to tackle the why does God allow suffering in our lives? What purpose does it have? And then the third week, answer the question, can anything good come out of periods of suffering, trials, and hardships within our life? Now, I ask you to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning because Paul is writing another letter to the church of Corinth. And one of the themes within this letter is suffering and how Paul addresses this personally within his life. Now, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul when you read the New Testament is this guy has a PhD in suffering. <laughs> I mean, this is what he knows. He could write all day long on this topic of suffering because Paul often suffered. There are many times he suffered physically in his life. Uh, he has an eye problem that he writes about in the letter uh, to the churches of Galatia that his eyesight's going bad. So he has some type of eye problem. He speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he has has a thorn in the flesh that is affecting him physically, whatever that thorn is and pain within his life. But often you read when Paul goes into new areas where the gospel is not preached in the book of Acts, that sometimes when he preaches the gospel, riots break out and he sometimes physically gets beaten. I mean, he gets beaten for preaching the gospel. He has rocks and sticks thrown at him. There's one point that they beat him so badly, they left him outside of town just on the side of the road to die. Well, there's another thing that you read about Paul when he runs into areas where the gospel's not preached in the book of Acts is he often finds himself in prison. I often imagine where Paul goes, hey, don't take me to the synagogue first. Let me just check out the condition of the jail I'm about to be in, right? That's who he is. Like, you don't ever want to get on a boat with this guy because often when he's on a boat, he ends up shipwrecked somewhere, right? And so if Paul invites you for a three-hour sail on a Sunday, you go, no, I'm not going sailing with you, Paul. I know how this thing goes. Paul has a PhD in suffering physically, but also emotionally. He's often under spiritual attack by Satan. 
He's under spiritual attack. That's why he's writing this second letter to the church of Corinth, because there are people who are saying, wait a minute, you're an apostle who's suffering physically, therefore you must not be a prophet of God, an apostle of God, because God certainly wouldn't allow one of his apostles to suffer the way you do. And so Paul's constantly under physical and spiritual attack within his life. And in chapter one, he gives you a very simple principle to understand, but it is very key when we understand suffering in our lives and how to help others. Here's the principle. God comforts us so that we may comfort others. God comforts us in order to equip us and help us so that we may comfort others others, no matter the affliction they are in. In chapter one, we pick up in verse three, and what you see is a God who comforts you. No matter the pain, no matter the affliction, this is a God who comforts you. Pick up in verse three. Paul writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. That phrase, blessed be, right there, is a, is a way that the Jews would start out a hymn of praise. So it's almost saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Paul was one, like we are, that we cannot praise God because we're in pain, but we can praise God because he's in the pain with us. So we don't praise God that we are in a struggle, but we praise God because he's in the struggle with us. And here's what Paul is showing us about the God of comfort. He says he is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is an amazing statement right there and very controversial even in this time that Paul is writing this because of the word father. Up to this point that the Jews understood that God was the father of the Jews But what you have with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, the hope and the promise of the gospel is that anyone that comes to Jesus is saved. Jew and Gentile, when you come to faith in Christ, now you are brought into the family of God, and now you call God Father because of what Christ has done. And so now he is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Father, and we notice that he says he is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have overused that word Lord and we've lost its meaning, but when Paul uses the word Lord there, again, it's a controversial term. Because in this day and time, you referred to Caesar as your Lord. To say that Caesar is my Lord was to say I'm under the allegiance of Caesar, I'm worshiping Caesar, Caesar the emperor, that's my God. But now to say that Jesus is my Lord is saying I'm worshiping him. I'm under him. He is my boss. He is my king. He is the supreme ruler of my life. But notice what Paul shows us about this God in verse 3. He says he is the father of mercies. The father of mercies. Just underline that phrase, father of. You know, for the Jews to use the phrase father of, meant to say he's the originator of. So in John chapter 8, you read that Satan is the father of lies, that lies and all lies originated from Satan. So Satan is the originator of lies. God is the originator of mercy. The concept of mercy comes from God because of his character and his actions. He is a merciful God to us. 
Now, mercy is really easy to understand, and I'll explain it this way to you. A few weeks ago, uh, I openly admitted to you that I ran a red light in town recently. All right? If you weren't here, now you just caught up on that. But some of you were like shocked. Whoa. Yeah, I ran a red light. I was running late where I needed to go. The light turned yellow. I did what all you do sometimes too, quickly glanced around the intersection. Didn't see the cop. Thought, all right, don't see anybody. Shoop, run the red light. Well, I got pulled over by one of Alvin's police officers. He showed me mercy. I deserved a ticket. I ran the red light. I even told him, he said, do you know what you did? I said, yeah, I ran that red light back there. <laughs> I was late and I ran it, right? And I told him, I said, I didn't see you when I scanned for you. <laughs> I mean, I just, I know what I did. I ran the red light. I deserved a ticket, right? That, that's what I deserved because I ran the red light and I broke the law. I should have got a ticket. He showed me mercy, thank the Lord, and he gave me a warning, right? I did not get what I deserved. That's mercy. You and I deserve hell for our sin. You and I deserve because of our sin to be under the eternal wrath of God because we have sinned against a holy God. But God through his son, Jesus Christ, shows us mercy that he put Christ on a cross on our behalf. He took my sin, your sin upon Jesus on our behalf. So now when you come to faith in Christ, you receive God's mercy. You no longer are on your way to hell. Now God gives you forgiveness and a relationship with him for all of eternity. Praise God for mercy. Amen. And that's what he's saying, that this is this God, this Father of mercy, that mercy is originated with him. But notice also what he says in verse 3 about God. He is the God of all comfort. He's the God of all comfort. That word comfort, again, it, it's, we use comfort in a way, in a weak way in our society. Because we have comfort food, right? You know, whether you have ice cream, you have pizza, ribs, whatever it is. Like, I feel bad and I want to eat comfort food because the food is going to bring me comfort. You know what that's going to bring you? Probably indigestion if you eat the wrong stuff, right? It's not a comfort that's going to really help you. This word comfort is not God just kind of patting us on the head and running us along. The word means paraclete, and it's the same word that, that is used, that Jesus uses in John 14 to describe the Holy Spirit, and it means to come alongside. So God comforts us through Jesus by giving us a way to come to him, but he comforts us through the work of the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, coming alongside of us and helping us. This is who this God is. He's a God of comfort. And here's what amazes me about God's comfort when you stop and think about it. That when we suffer, God doesn't withdraw from us. He comes to us. That when we suffer, God's not abandoned us. He's close to us. So I thought about it this way this week. Name me another religion where there is a God of comfort. I'll wait. Name me another God out there who pursues his people when they are hurting, and he says, I'm here. Daddy's here. Your father's here. I'm helping you. I'm putting me in you, and I'm bringing you comfort. Name me another God that does that. I'll wait. You know why? Why? Because there's only one God that does that. 
and it's the God of the Bible. And that's what makes him so unique to every other God. That's what makes him distinct. That's what makes him a true, loving, caring God, because he comforts us in our suffering. He meets us with himself in our need. So we see Paul saying that God comforts us, but I want you to notice why he comforts us. He comforts us so we may comfort others. Notice in verse 4, he says, God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So notice what, what Paul's saying is that God meets us in our pain, he meets us in our afflictions. That, that word affliction there means pressure. And it's speaking of an intense pressure uh, is the word that's used in the Greek. It's a crushing type of pressure. So he, he comforts us in all the pressures that are crushing us in our lives so that we have now the opportunity to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we have received by God. That means this, you are not the main reason God comforts you. It doesn't stop with you. The intended plan of God, when he comforts you, when he helps you, when he removes suffering, when he meets you in your need, is not just solely for your benefit. It's now for the benefit of someone else to go out and comfort them in their affliction, in their problems, in their pain. Now I'm going to stop you right there in your mind because I know you're thinking it. You're already thinking about your counter argument to me. Because I just said that God comforts you so that you now go out and as Paul said in verse 4, comfort anyone, and did you notice that word, in any affliction. And here's when you start talking about helping other people, people go, oh, hang on, I can't do that. Right? For, for the person who's an alcoholic, I've never been an alcoholic, I can't help the alcoholic. You know, for the person that's going through that, I've never gone through that, I can't go through that. Let me tell you what that is. That is an excuse that isn't going to fly with God. <laughs> because God's looking at that excuse you're throwing at him today and go, nope, you're missing the point. He comforts you with his comfort so you can comfort someone else in any affliction they go through. That means this, I don't have to become an alcoholic to help someone that's struggling in alcoholism. I don't have to divorce my wife in order to help someone who's been divorced or going through a divorce. You don't have to get autism to help a family like mine who has a child with autism. God is comforting you so that you now in your affliction can go out and help someone in any affliction that they are going through. So how do you do that? How do you help people in their suffering? Let me just give you four very practical ways to do this. Number one, pray for them. Right? The first way that you help people in their suffering is pray for them. Don't just say you're going to pray for them, actually pray for them. All right. Now, here's where we need to pray. Number one, we need to pray physically for that person, right? We want to pray physical prayers. We want to pray if there is healing that is needed, we want to pray that healing comes. If there's sickness, we want to pray the sickness ends. Provision, we want to, they need provision, we want to pray that God provides. Yes, pray all of those physical prayers where they need provision, where they need healing. Please pray those. God answers those prayers. But if you look at your prayer list, 
And if you look at the 99% of all the prayer requests that come through life groups, I will guarantee you as sure as I'm standing here today that that's the only way we pray for people. We'll pray physically for them. Lord, heal them, provide for them, meet their needs. Amen, pray that way. God does those things. But God is up to something so much more in the life of that person when they are going through suffering than just the physical. So we pray the spiritual prayers as well. And here's where I want to encourage you in your life groups, in your personal prayer times, yes, pray physically, but pray spiritually for them. So oftentimes when someone gives me a, hey, can you pray for my friend? You know, they've got this going on in their life. I'll ask them, do you know if your friend's a believer in Jesus Christ? You know if they're a Christian? Well, no, they're not. Okay, well, I'm going to pray for them that they get healed, but I'm going to pray ultimately that they come to know Christ in this time. Because it's not just the physical healing they need, they need spiritual healing. They need to be saved, amen? Right? So I'm going to pray for that. Or I'll say, hey, you know, do you know if they're a believer in Christ? Yeah, they're a believer in Christ. All right. Well, I'm going to pray that the Lord strengthen them in this time. I'm going to pray that the Lord deepens their faith in this moment. I'm going to pray that God meets those spiritual needs and will encourage them in them. So when you're praying for their physical needs, we're praying those spiritual needs as well. Maybe that's the person that doesn't know Jesus. You know, over 70% come to know Christ. 70% of people come to know Christ in the midst of suffering in their lives. What an opportunity for the gospel to take root. So we want to pray for that. We want to pray for them spiritually. Second, we want to help people in practical ways. So when they're suffering, when they're hurting, we want to help in practical ways. Now hear me very well on this, because here's something that I think we make some mistakes on when people are suffering and we try to help. Oftentimes when someone gets a diagnosis, something happens tragically in their life, we will come to them very well-meaning, in a spirit of love, in a spirit of charity, in a spirit of wanting to give, in a spirit of wanting to help. So everything motivationally is well. And you'll say this, if you need anything, just let me know. I'm here. If you need anything, just let me know. I'm here. Now listen, you honestly mean that, right? You are one where you, they could call you in the middle of the night and you are there. You're that kind of person. And you'll say, hey, if you need me, just let me know. Here's the problem. And here's where the disconnect happens. When someone receives a diagnosis, when tragedy strikes, when suffering hits, there is, and many of you have been there and you know this, you're running at that moment in time just pure off adrenaline in your mind and your body. There is a cloud in your mind. You know you need help, but you don't know which help you need. <laughs> because you don't know which way is up. You don't even know if it's a Tuesday or a Wednesday at that moment. There's going to come a point in time where the dust is going to settle in your mind. The adrenaline's going to wear off. You're going to need the help, but you don't remember all the very well-meaning people that said, when you need something, just give me a call. Because they hit you in the moment where the world was spinning, and now you're left. So here's how we approach this. When people need help, you want to offer practical ways. You call them up. I'm going to bring you a meal. Does Thursday sound okay? I'm going to go get you some gift cards. Where do you guys like to eat? Do you have someone that cuts your grass, or can I come cut your grass? Do your kids need picked up from school? I can pick them up. 
So what I'm doing is I'm offering them practical help where they're not having to make all those decisions. I'm right there in the moment saying, here's what I'm going to go do. Is that okay? So we want to help them in practical ways, pray for them physically, spiritually. Let me give you number three. This one's going to be a hard one. You want to be present with them and learn to listen more than you speak. You want to be present with them and you want to learn to listen to them more than you speak. When you read through the story of Job's life, Job had some friends that did a wonderful job with Job. For seven days, they sat in silence with him. When you read Job, it went south when the yahoos started talking, right? And they started giving all kinds of practical advice and all these other things. What you want to do for that friend and that family member is be there. You might be thinking, I don't know what to say. That's fine. You don't have to say a whole lot. I don't, I don't know what to encourage them on. That's okay. You just need to be there. <laughs> you need to learn to listen and not say a lot. So here's how I handle that. And some of you I've said this to. When you go through a hard time, I'll tell you, you can call me, you can call Sandra anytime. If you need somebody to get mad with and just be upset at, just call. I can take it. I'll listen. If you need somebody just to listen as you talk and process through those things, that's fine. Just give me a call. I can listen. You need somebody just to, you know, vent to and just get upset. That's okay. Call me. I'll listen. And that's what we need to do. Be present with them. Learn to listen more than you talk. Let me give you number four. Here's the most practical way you can help someone when they're suffering. The comfort you have received by God, now you are giving out to people. When you suffer, when you suffer, show up and worship the Lord. When you suffer, show up and worship the Lord. When suffering comes in your life, you have one of two options. You either walk away from God or you walk with God. When suffering comes in your life, you either walk with him or you walk away. When suffering comes in your life, you either worship him or you say, God, you're worthless. You say you're worthy or you're worthless. You worship or you walk away. And I've seen countless people over the years walk away from God when suffering hits. Do you know why? Because they built their faith off of a God you owe me type of relationship. God, I was, I was morally good. It's way better than the, you know, the neighbor three doors down. Don't you know that guy? <laughs> you see what they've been doing? I've been better than them. Lord, I've been worshiping you. Lord, I've been faithful to you. Lord, I've tried all these things, and now I get this? I get suffering in return? Boy, you're worthless. I don't want that type of God. I'm walking away. Instead, what we have to say in suffering is, Lord, we know this is for a season. We know this is for a time. You're still worthy. And I'm going to worship you. Because understand what happens in here on a Sunday morning when we come together. is first and foremost, our primary audience is God. When you come to sing, when you come to worship, primarily that audience is the Lord. But what happens as you're worshiping the Lord, you're also ministering to one another. So when you are singing, when you are present, when you're in life groups, when you are serving, when you are helping, you are ministering out comfort to one another. 
Because what happens is the Lord has comforted you, now you're comforting them. And even in suffering, as you sing, that is a way to comfort other people. Why? Because as a church, we want to be in community with each other. When we are in community with each other, you now learn the stories of each other. And there are some stories in here. Some of you have been in very, very painful circumstances in your life. For some of you, you have had to bury your child. And one of the things that is just always a gut-wrenching moment to me as a pastor, when I have to do a funeral of a child, whether it's a small child, a teenager, or an adult child, I have to walk those parents through burying their kids. And that's just one of those moments in life where I go, God, this isn't fair. This isn't right. No parent should ever have to bury their own child. Some of you have had to do that. Some of you have lost your spouse. Some of you have gone through marriages that have not gone so well. Some of you have been abused physically. You have been you know, abused spiritually or emotionally. Some of you have had miscarriages and multiple miscarriages in pregnancy. Some of you have had cancer. You have cancer. Some of you have disabilities. Some of you have children with disabilities. And when all of those people come together and worship God, something powerful happens when we are vertically worshiping him, horizontally we are ministering the gospel out to one another while we sing. And so I know, and I, I'm going to just get on this really quick thing, I know there are a lot of churches that like to turn the lights down when they sing and they black everything out, and each to their own, that's totally fine. If you ever attend one of those churches, man, that's one of their things. There is two reasons why we keep the lights up when we sing. Number one, for the practical reason, even when I go to those churches and it's blacked out, I don't know where I'm going, right? And with bad eyesight, I don't want to trip, okay? Practical reason number one. More importantly reason, theologically. Theologically, I understand this, that we encourage and minister to one another when we worship the Lord. So therefore, we need to see each other. We need to see each other in worship singing. We need to see each other in worship, praising the Lord. We need to see each other worshiping and putting our hands up and singing out vocally. So when you suffer, show up, sing, worship, because God is using you powerfully when in the midst of suffering, you go, Jesus is better. In the midst of suffering, when you say, Jesus is better than my pain, Jesus is better than the grave, Jesus is better than sin, Jesus is better than all these things that right now I'm going through, I know a Savior named Jesus who is better than all things. Something powerfully happens in our lives in the midst of suffering that some of you are in when you show up and say, I am singing in the victory, the victory of the cross. I'm resting in the shadow of his redeeming love. I'm standing in the promise of his, this new life, because I'm yours forever. And Jesus, you are mine. You have been comforted. Now go comfort others in any affliction they have. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray this morning that you will work in a mighty way within our lives. That, Father, in the midst of intense pain that we go through that is often soul-crushing, those are the moments that we will be revived. Those are the moments that, Father, we will be renewed. And, Father, I pray personally in my life as I pray for those around me that when we are suffering, we continue to worship. 
We continue to comfort others by prayer, offering practical help, being present in their lives, but also, Lord, continuing to sing out that you are better, that you are better than all things, that this Savior by the name of Jesus is better than the suffering we are in, because this suffering is for a season, it's for a time, it's for a moment. The suffering, remind us, God, is is just a moment. It, It doesn't define who we are because Christ Jesus is better, and we can sing in that victory. So help us, even in our pain, to sing, to sing in the victory of Jesus, to testify of his presence and work in our lives. We're going to sing here in a moment, right as I end this prayer. I'm going to invite you to stand and sing our final song. There are going to be folks that will be down front ready to pray with you, receive you. I'll be down front as well. Maybe today you said, listen, I I need to know the mercy of God. I need to know that salvation of Christ. You come and let us know. Maybe there's uh, just a prayer. You need somebody to pray over you, pray with you, pray down at the steps. I invite you to come in a moment, pray as we sing in in, in a second here. Jesus is better. He's better than all our pain, better than all our suffering. He's better than hell. He's better than the grave. He's better than sin because it is Christ that has conquered all. And that's who we worship. Father, help us to continue to declare Jesus is better. Help us, Lord, this week within our churches, within our life groups, within our family units, within our friends, that we can be practical help to others as you have comforted us. Help us to comfort them, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Sing with me this morning. Your crimson 
you so much for joining us. We'll continue our series. We all know someone next week looking at why God allows suffering in our lives. Uh, just right where you are, I want to invite you uh, to take that rodeo sign-up uh, sheet, whether you said, hey, I don't want to be in the, you know, the chili contest, but I'm going to provide more food, sides, desserts, or you just signed up for second place today for the contest. Um, however you want to do that. 
uh, take that, place it in the gray boxes that are around this room or out in the lobby. Those are our offering boxes. You can simply slip that there. Uh, that is three weeks away from today. And so a great day also to invite folks uh, with you as well. Uh, also, if you need to be baptized as a believer, we'll be baptizing some folks that morning on March 12th. So invite you to that. Uh, also, uh, if you have any children with disabilities or you'd like to serve, uh, February 24th is our next recess night uh, where we give families and parents just a night out and a break. And then also February 23rd is a, a children's event for young ladies and their moms. It's the Fancy Hats Tea Party. And uh, so if you've not registered all that, you can register online uh, at our website for our Discover Heights new members class today. If you have signed up for that or you're interested in that, we've got lunch uh, ready for you. If you will just walk right out the double doors in the lobby, the first building right there on your left and those double doors are our fellowship hall and that's where we will uh, meet here very shortly. So those in Discover Heights, you guys can go on in there and uh, begin eating and we'll be right there with you. So let me pray as we dismiss. Father, we thank you that we can leave singing even in the midst of suffering and pain because we know it is Christ Jesus that he left heaven and he laid down his crown of glory in heaven and his robe and he came to this earth and he was robed and clothed with our sin. And he took on our diseases and our pain and our sickness and they put a crown of thorns upon his head on the cross. They put him in a tomb and all of his adversaries and Satan thought they had won. Three days later, he rose again. And now it is Christ Jesus that holds all authority, all power, the keys of the kingdom and death, because he has overcome it all. And so though we may struggle and suffer for a moment, remind us to re remember to sing Jesus is better. And we can sing in the victory of knowing Christ, who will give us an eternity with him, free of pain. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless.